This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. It's important to establish a culture of winning, the importance of winning, and doing things the right way. So for us, it's just to keep building upon that. What's up, Fins fans? Welcome into this pre-draft edition of Fin It to Win It, brought to you by Blue Wire Pods and Bet Online. Mason, we haven't even officially launched the show yet, but we thought it was too important. We just had to jump on and give our takes leading up to this epic NFL draft. I haven't been so nervous for a Miami Dolphins draft since I can remember, because you know this is really the culmination of really like two years of trading away assets, trading away players to you know, gain draft capital for this draft and 2021 as well, but mainly this 2020 draft. I mean, three first round draft picks. What they do in these next few days is really going to kind of determine the trajectory of this franchise. Yeah, Riley, nervous is an understatement. Uh, it has been <laughs> it has been about 20 years, as we have said a million times, since the Dolphins have had a full-fledged franchise quarterback. You can say Ryan Tannehill kind of was going into that mode, but there has been few and far times between that we have actually said we know the Dolphins are going to target a quarterback within their first few picks. Besides Ryan Tannehill in 2012, there has yep. not been another time since the year 2000 or before that the Dolphins knew what they were looking for. They knew they were going for that quarterback. And the crazy thing about this, and this is probably why you're so nervous, as am I, nobody knows what they're going to do. No sports writers, no inside information. Everybody as of now, as we're recording this, is pretty much stumped on what direction Miami is going to go in. It's really like the perfect storm, Mason, if you think about it, because it's such a huge draft for the Miami Dolphins specifically. And then you put all this COVID-19 stuff that's you know going on and just that the draft is going to be virtual. So how does that affect your strategy in terms of trades? Like I'm hearing that most teams are not comfortable, you know, discussing trades during the draft. I'm sure they'll take calls if calls come in, but a lot of teams want to have trades in place going into their picks, going into the draft. So things are probably happening right now as we speak. Um, and nobody has, like you said, no one has a clue what the Dolphins are going to do. I mean, it's like every week there's a different storyline. So whether the Dolphins are leaking that to 
put up smoke screens. If they are, it's a masterful job. Or that no one can just get a beat on what this team is going to do because there's so many directions that they could take because they have so much draft capital. Yeah, and that's a good point. With COVID-19 and everything going on, communication is going to be key. And the first team to make a huge splash or to make that pick that turns everybody's heads, it's going to be interesting to see how teams react. I know we're going to kind of talk about Dolphin strategies. We're going to discuss what happens if they don't take a quarterback with that fifth pick. I think a lot of fans are going to lose their minds. But if they don't take a quarterback... Yes. Well, we'll we'll get to that. But if they don't take a quarterback with that fifth pick and they go another direction, it's going to be really interesting to see how other teams change their strategies because of that and how they adapt. Will other teams start to trade up to try to get more of those tackles before those four or five big tackles run out in the first round, those offensive linemen? If a wide receiver is taken early, how will that change the strategy? And, of course, we're going to talk a little bit about this But what about the Lions? Like they're sitting there saying, hey, here's the number three pick. Who wants it? Who's going to bite first on that? Is it going to be the Chargers? Is it going to be the Dolphins? Is it going to be a team like the Jaguars who are just a little bit away from the Dolphins? I believe they pick ninth. Ninth, yep. So with them picking ninth, are they going to kind of man up and are they going to say, okay, we want Tua. We want Herbert. Or – are the Dolphins going to do it? There's just a lot of, there's a ton of questions in this draft. And I know every year there's always rumors going around who will do what, but this year it just seems like there's just a little bit more with the mysterious and just the unknown on what Miami is going to do. Yeah. And really Miami controls all of the chess pieces. Kind of like you said, they, how they go about their business and what they decide to do with these draft picks, whether they stay put and pick where they have, you know, their current picks, or if they want to trade up, trade down, they really control the board um, and how things, I guess, how the dominoes will fall. So let's, I mean, you kind of started right there, but let's get right into it. So, I mean, it's literally like, you know, one week, Dolphins are all in on Joe Burrow. They want Joe Burrow. They're in talks with the Bengals. What is it going to take to get Joe Burrow? Now that seems to have died down, you know, for a year now, it's been tanked for Tua, and now all these reports that the Dolphins are worried about his medicals, and they're all in on Herbert. Now we're hearing that they're not in on Herbert. They like love and they want to, <laughs> they're thinking about not even <laughs> drafting a quarterback at five and waiting on love. So yeah, I mean, no one has really any actual clue of what the Dolphins are going to do, which is great news for the Dolphins because it basically allows them to do whatever they want um, to keep other teams on their toes. But I think let's go ahead and start with this, Mason. So if you look at the first round and just how crucial it is, right now they have three first-round picks. They have the fifth pick, the 18th pick, and the 26th pick. I'm anticipating, you know, obviously one of those being quarterback, but I'm anticipating them going heavy on the offensive side of the ball considering the moves that you saw them make on the defensive side of the ball in free agency, bringing in Van Noy, Shaq Lawson, Emmanuel Ogba um, to really sure up the linebacking core whoa, and the, whoa, and the whoa, defensive whoa. You end. forgot about – you forgot about something pretty important. The highest paid cornerback in the league, Byron Jones. Yeah, who surpasses the former highest paid cornerback in the league in Miami Dolphin. <laughs> now, remember that cornerback, Howard, uh, coming off knee surgery, got a little bit of a domestic battery arrest, too. So there, it was an interest. It's been an interesting last year for Howard. I agree. He is still, when he's healthy, a top flight cornerback in the league defensive back and pairing him with someone as talented as Byron Jones, even though I think you have about as many interceptions as Byron Jones the last few years, 
But pairing him with someone like Byron Jones, who works so well in man coverage, and the Dolphins like to run that in Flores' defense, man coverage, I think he's going to flourish in that role. I think the Dolphins were 26th or 27th in pass defense last year, and we know they did not get a lot of sacks. I think the highest sack um, amount of sacks on the team was six and a half. So, yeah, those those people you've mentioned, plus Byron Jones, the defensive side's covered. So I actually agree with you. I think the offense is going to be the point of emphasis, especially early on in this draft. Yeah, and they made a couple moves to sure up the offensive line, but I think one of their major needs here is offensive tackle. And when you look at the board, there's really, if you group them into tiers, in tier one, there's four guys that you look at. And despite the rumors that are going on right now, I think that the Dolphins are going to stick with a quarterback at their fifth pick. And I really do at this point think it's still going to be Tua. Because I think, you know, we've heard that the medicals, that multiple teams have not passed him, but reports are coming out that the Dolphins actually don't have concerns when it comes to medicals for Tua. You know, obviously I have no more insight than anyone else that's kind of playing this guessing game. But I'm just anticipating if you actually look at the prospect himself, I mean, we were talking about Tua Tagovailoa going number one overall before this year. I mean, Joe Burrow was a mid sure. a mid round draft pick going into <laughs> sure. the co- last college football season. Um, and I think if that you know, if not for the hip injury, which is a major injury, which is you know something that you really need to thoroughly think about uh, when drafting your future quarterback. So it's nothing to you know turn your head to. But I mean, if you look at the overall talent and the prospect itself. Tua and Justin Herbert are not on the same level. They're just not even close to the same quarterback. And I think that the Dolphins over the years have been just so scared of that splashy pick. I mean, I can't remember the last time the Dolphins made a pick where it really raised my eyebrows in the first round. And I was like, wow, they went that direction. I mean, you know, maybe well, for the wrong reasons pick, when they traded other, up yeah, for Deion yeah, Jordan. Exactly. <laughs> other than a pick where the eyebrows raised not in a good way. Yeah, not in a good way. But usually they t- they like to play... You know, they like to play for doubles. They don't like to play for home runs in the first round. And I hope that, you know, with the change in coaching staff, with Flores coming in, that they really kind of switch that mentality. Because the last time the Miami Dolphins passed on a quarterback of this magnitude because of injury concerns, they passed on Drew Brees for Dante Culpepper. And that set the, that set the organization back a decade. So I don't want to see them make the same mistake again. I get the risk that's involved. If Tua doesn't work out, then, you know, he doesn't work out. But at least you're getting the prospect with the higher upside that can really be your future, the cornerstone of your organization. And you have draft capital next year. So if Tua, for some reason, you bring him in the building and it's like, oh, wow, this hip is worse than we thought. His career is not going to be as long as we had hoped it be. Then you set your sights to 2021 and trying to find a quarterback in that class. I don't think it necessarily sets you back if if Tua doesn't work out but I think that the risk is worth the reward and I do agree with you Riley I do but I think it's important to look at both of these quarterbacks and kind of see where they are in their collegiate careers as they're getting ready for the NFL of course Tua is going to be seen as the more polished quarterback and I agree with that with the injury history though it's going to be something teams are going to be a little bit more skeptical about now when you look at Herbert Yes, he's going to remind you of a quarterback that we just went through seven or so years with, and it didn't end great for the Dolphins. And that's why a lot of fans are looking at this saying, we don't want Ryan Tannehill 2.0. Does Herbert and Tannehill have a lot in common? They do. They both are tall quarterbacks. They both have strong arms. They're mobile too. Herbert's a lot more mobile than people give him credit for. 
But yeah. is Herbert a work in progress? Of course he is, just like Tannehill was, because Tannehill was a receiver in college mostly before transitioning to quarterback. So whether the Dolphins go for Herbert or they go for Tua, I think it's in their best interest to have both quarterbacks take a back seat. Unless these guys really show strides in training camp and in the preseason, they need to both step back and take some time to really get Chain Gailey's offense, to really learn from a journeyman quarterback like Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic, as we're going to call him. Mason, I just think that that comparison between Herbert and Tannehill is a little unfair to Herbert because when you look at the two quarterbacks, yes, they have the same build. They both stand around 6'4", 6'5". You're prototypical quarterback. Like when you think of a quarterback, you think of someone like Justin Herbert, not Tua, standing at six foot, could be crushed by a defensive lineman or a linebacker at any moment. But when you actually look at their skill sets, they both are pretty athletic. Like you said, Herbert, uh, he surprises a lot of people with his athleticism. But in terms of a pure passer, Herbert is much more polished at this point in his career than Tannehill was coming out of Texas A&M. It's just that when you look at guys like Tannehill and Herbert, they're not guys that excite you. Like when, when they are drafted, they don't, they don't ooze that leadership, that it factor. You know, no one's going to be covering the Dolphins if Justin Herbert goes to the Dolphins like they would if Tua. Tua brings that media recognition, in, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but he brings more eyeballs to your organization. I think that's really what Dolphins fans want to see because I think Dolphins fans are just kind of getting sick and tired of sitting in the back seat <laughs> of the NFL yeah. and not being talked about on major media outlets. And a move like bringing in Tua would accomplish that. Everybody would be talking about Tua going into this season. And I agree with that. The sexy pick is something Miami rarely does, like you mentioned at the beginning of our show. I will say, though, that the one thing that Herbert has shown, as Tua has as well, is their big game ability. They can win the big game. We saw with Herbert in the Rose Bowl against Wisconsin. We saw the very first game of the year for Herbert as well against a really good defense in Auburn. Even though he may look robotic, even though he may not improvise like some other quarterbacks in this draft, he can win the big game. I'm not saying that's something that I only look at in my quarterbacks, but against top defenses, against players who are going into this NFL draft, it is nice to see that out of your quarterback. And sure, the injury does scare me with Tua, but overall, I'm in agreement with you. The fifth pick, if the Dolphins want to make that splash, if they want to show that they are they are picking the most talented quarterback in this draft, they go with Tua. Because the bottom line is this, coaches, general managers, people in the organization, they don't get fired more than likely if they draft Tua and he just stays injured and doesn't pan out. But they do get fired if they pass on Tua and they get Herbert and they're <laughs> stuck in another mediocrity cycle for another five to seven years. And this is the great thing about the draft. Nobody knows who's going to pan out to be who. We look at the college tape. We look at their stats. We look at their tangibles. We look at everything like that. And we make our assumptions. I always say this meteorologists and draft experts, they have the best jobs because even when they're wrong, 95% of the time, they can still say, hey, there was that 5% chance of rain. You look at all these guys who are expected to be studs in the NFL that don't pan out to be. Sooner or later, of course, you're going to get a pick right. It's a yeah. very tough decision. The fifth pick is very tough. How would you feel, though, Riley? We, we're both in agreement this is going to be a very offensive first round. It would be more surprising if it wasn't. 
I could see the Dolphins getting a safety with their third pick in the first round. Yeah. But how would you feel if they bypassed both quarterbacks? They went with an offensive lineman as the fifth pick. How would you feel about that? Because it would, in my opinion, cause a reaction where different teams around the league would have to hurry up and draft some of these tackles and offensive linemen before they run out. Because after you get past those four or five, there is a steep drop-off in draft grades. How would you feel about that move at five? Yeah, it comes with a lot of risk. And while I said I want the Dolphins to take more risks, I'm not sure that's the kind of risk I was talking about. (laughs) Because there has been a lot of speculation, a lot of reports coming out in these last couple days. And I actually... I'm a big fan of this strategy that at five, I think they should still take a quarterback. I think, you know, you you're in a pretty solid spot at five. You take the quarterback that you want. If you are bought into one of these guys, whoever falls to you, you take them at five and then you trade up from 18 to make sure you get one of those top offensive linemen, whether it's Jedrick sure. Wills, Andrew Thomas, uh, Tristan Wirfs, um, one of those top four offensive linemen, because if you look at most mock drafts and mock drafts, you know, not a big fan of them, but if you look at most of them, they're pretty consistent. The top four offensive linemen are gone by pick 12. Um, if you look at the teams that are picking in the first round before the Dolphins get to 18, there's a lot of teams that have desperate needs for offensive linemen. So you look at Tampa Bay, obviously bringing in Tom Brady. They need a they need an offensive lineman. That 10-11 range with Cleveland, New York, the Jets, they both need offensive linemen badly. So I think that you need to try to find a trade partner here to make sure you jump up to get into that mix to ensure that you get one of the top four guys. Because once you get past that four, you're looking at guys like Isra Cleveland, Austin Jackson, guys that have an upside but are a little bit more raw, and I would not be comfortable taking them with the 18th pick. At the 26th pick, I could justify it. But at 18, they're kind of in that weird, like, twilight zone kind of area where the top four receivers will probably, or top three receivers will probably be gone. The top four offensive linemen are not going to be there. So I think if you really want to shore up your offensive line, which they need to do, then I think you look for people like Jacksonville at nine, Cleveland at 10 have said they've been interested in trading back, San Francisco at 13 to ensure you at least get one of those guys. You took the words right out of my mouth. I'm thinking Jacksonville at nine would be a great trade partner. That puts you in the top 10. That puts you getting one of the top tackles, one of the offensive linemen. And it also gives you a team like Jacksonville who's really trying to get rid of some talent. Now I'm going to throw a name out there. Leonard Fournette. We know that the Dolphins signed Howard as a free agent. He's got a little bit of mileage on him. How would you feel if the Dolphins made a trade where they got rid of some of those 14 draft picks. They moved up inside of the top 10. They draft two at five. They get a tackle at nine. They get four net. They give away the 26th pick in one of those second round picks. See, it really depends. What is it going to take? If you make a jump from 18 to the top 10, are you going to have to give up? I I don't think you give up your 26th pick, do you? Maybe you give up your 39th pick to jump up that far. I don't know if that can get you in the top 10 or not, but I'm not really a fan of giving up that last first round pick. But in terms of the Leonard Fournette situation, I am not really on board with making that move. One, he's going into the last year of his deal. 
So you don't even know if you could keep him long term. He's such a similar style running back to Jordan Howard. I think that you look in this draft and we know that the Dolphins have been linked to basically every running back in this draft. Like they like a lot of guys on this list. And there's been speculation that the Dolphins are going to be taking a running back in the first round, which I'm not really a big fan of. I would like to see them at least wait till the second round, because if it's true that they like, you know, these top five running backs, you're looking at J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin, Edwards Hilaire out of LSU, and even Cam Akers. They really like Cam Akers out of Florida State. One of those guys is going to be there at 39. If you really want a running back, wait to the second round. J.K. Dobbins might not be there, but DeAndre Swift might. Do you really think by the time you get to the 39th pick in the draft that multiple running backs are going to be off the board? I just don't think that's how the board's going to play out. Possibly, though. You know, that that's a position in the NFL draft where once one gets drafted, teams get antsy. You mentioned four or five top running backs there. I agree with you. There is some good depth to them, and the Dolphins can easily snag one of them in the second or third round. The only one that I would really be comfortable with at 26 is J.K. Dobbins. The eye test in, at Ohio State, what he did for that offense, he's fantastic. He's amazing. I want him on the Dolphins roster if they're going to go with that route. But I agree, the fact that Miami does have those extra picks in the second round, more than likely they're going to get a chance at him. But if it's somebody high on their board, why wait? Grab him at 26. This is a team with a lot of needs. You know, safety. Xavier McKinney out of Alabama. A lot of people are mocking him to Miami at 26. That would be a solid pick for them. Wide receiver. Even though Miami has a lot of depth at wide receiver, is it good depth? It's a lot of depth that involves injuries. And it's a players lot of unproven play, depth. It's a lot of unproven depth. We got a lot of injuries. We have Albert Wilson who's coming off an injury. Is he going to be explosive? We have Jakeem Grant, who is a player who only fits that certain type of niche in the offense. He's not an every down receiver. And Devontae Parker, I'm a fan of him, but can he reproduce what he did last year with Miami? So receiver is another pick that Miami is going to have to really, really look at hard late in that first round. And there's a possibility if there is a receiver available that they're really liking, they can trade up a little bit and get them. That's what these extra draft picks are really going to do for Miami during this draft. They're going to give them some ammunition to where if they don't think they can wait five or six picks for somebody – they can use one of those later picks to get a little bit closer to grab a playmaker. Because I agree with everything you've said so far. This is one of the most important drafts. We've said it several times. And to slam dunk this draft, you cannot wait. You have to jump up and you have to grab these guys. That is why you have 14 picks. Yeah, I don't think they're necessarily in play for the top three receivers. When you look at C.D. Lamb, Jerry, Judy, Henry Ruggs, I think those guys are going to be off the board. Uh, Justin Jefferson, he's been linked to a lot of teams that are picking before Miami. Uh, the Eagles have been a very popular team uh, destination for him. But if you look at guys like Denzel Mims, uh, Chenault from Colorado, T. Higgins from Clemson, it's a very deep wide receiver class. So I think that I would rather see them take a wide receiver at 26 than a running back. I just think that the way that running back, the position itself is trending, I think unless he is a slam dunk, home run, can't miss prospect, I think drafting a running back in the first round is just, it's not making the most of your value at that at that spot, especially when you have two second round picks. I mean, you're only waiting, what, a handful of picks between 26 and 39 in your with your first second round pick. So 
in my perfect scenario, I see them taking a quarterback at five. I see them trading up from 18 to land one of the top four offensive tackles. And then I would really not mind seeing them taking another tackle, maybe one with upside, like an Austin Jackson at 26 if he's on the board. You mentioned some of those safeties. McKinney, who reminds a lot of people of Minka Fitzpatrick in the style that he plays. Or you could go with uh, Grant Delpit, the safety out of LSU, who's more of a bruising, hard-hitting safety. So I would much rather see them go in a different direction than running back in the first round. Now, that's not to say if they take a running back at the 26th pick, I'm going to be disappointed by it. But I think that you could get, if you really are in love with these top four, top five running backs, and there's not really one that separates himself from the crowd in your opinion, then why why spend a pick in the first round when you know at least one or two, probably three of those guys are going to be there by the time you come back around in the second? True. I mean, I really do. This is definitely an episode where we're agreeing on most things. I'm not disagreeing with you. But once again, when we're dealing with talent, whether it's DeAndre Swift, whether it's Dobbins, if that is your guy, you have to go and get him. You can't play the what-if game. You can't just assume they're going to be around there in the second round. I agree with you with your first, uh, with your scenario, with your perfect scenario for the first three picks. Two at five would be my number one choice. Getting an offensive tackle, if they don't trade down, that is. Getting a tackle with the second pick at 18. Josh Jones out of Houston is a guy I like. I think he'll be there at 18 for them to pick. And then with that 26th pick, there's several guys I like. Dobbins and Swift. Um, but, you know, looking at the receivers, looking at Jefferson out of LSU, don't know if he'll fall down there to 26, but you never know. There's going to be common themes in this draft, and one of the themes are going to be I think teams are going to get antsy. When tackles start to get picked, when these linemen start to get drafted, they're going to fall like dominoes, and that's going to leave these positions like wide receiver and running back to meet, to be more vulnerable for guys to fall a little bit where they shouldn't. We talked about the communication piece in this draft, how it's going to be a lot different how teams are going to possibly have to have trades ready before mm-hmm. the draft starts. It's going to be interesting to see who's going to trade up to get their guy because they know there may be connection issues. There, Hopefully not, but there may be communication issues later in this draft. But I think we're both in agreement, offense of mindset in the first round. Yeah, and I have a scenario that I think is very interesting that I want to run by you, Mason. But before we do that, uh, we are brought to you by Bet Online. And with currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on right now. Well, my friend, you would be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker, blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 yes. Simula- yes. simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, Mason's favorite, American Idol, stock prices, and even Nathan's hot dog eating contest. I mean, you can bet on anything these days. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. So, Mason. Now, wait a minute. Look- wait a minute, Riley. Now, what? Now, besides the American Idol thing being true, I do want to say this isn't really for this episode, but I'm a huge fan of betting on the Madden simulations. I, I'm, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I'm fantastic at it. I have found a niche in the betting realm. 
So we don't know really what the sports landscape is going to be like in the future. I mean, I want live actual sports to come back, but if they don't, these Madden simulations, give them a try. They're a lot of fun. <laughs> Noted. So if you look at the first few rounds, so we have three first round picks, two second round picks, and a third round pick. Yep. So within the first 70 picks, we have six picks. Then, Mason, we go 71 picks without drafting. We're very top-heavy and we're very bottom-heavy in this draft. So what would you think about this? There's a lot of speculation about the Dolphins trading up from 18 to acquire one of those offensive tackles, and I still am very much in favor of that. But what would you think about them trading out of 26, trading back to accrue some picks so they're not waiting 71 turns? That's a lot of talent going off the board while you're sitting there waiting. What do you think yeah. of them trading back from 26 to accrue some more picks in those middle rounds that, you know, where you can find guys like Rashad Jones, you can find those special team guys, those contributors that really make up the, the meat in the heart of your football team. That's going to be an interesting strategy for the dolphins in this draft, because like you said, from pick 70 all the way into 141, they're going to have to kind of sit there on their hands and they're going to have to wait Will they do that? I don't think so. I think if they do make that trade to move up for a tackle in the first round or they sit there and they just go through their first three first-round picks, they're going to have to do something to kind of close that gap. I know you've said you're more in favor of waiting for that running back. Well, if the Dolphins agree with you with that strategy, this might not be a bad thing to do. Moving back in the draft, there are going to be some talented guys back there. But at the same time, we've said this, this is such an important draft for the Dolphins. If they've done the research and they have top-tier guys and those first five picks they're ready to pounce on, I don't know if I'm really a fan of moving back in the draft and looking at those round four and round five guys. It's a long time to not pick anybody, though. That's a lot of talent is, that you're watching come off the board. Five, five great picks, boom, 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 boom. I don't mind sitting there and sipping some champagne, popping bottles. I'm totally fine with that. And if they want to get back in. If you look at these though, Mason, you know, these first few rounds, what do you, if they hit 50% of them, that's a good, that's a good day, right? Like you hit a home run when it comes to draft picks. I mean, we're talking about a lot of unknowns here. Just because you have a draft pick does not mean that they're going to turn into as dolphins fans. Well, no, is going to turn into a valuable asset on your team. Which is why in most cases I'm in favor, you know, when it comes to trades and transactions. I usually side with the team that's getting the known commodity, getting the player, not the team getting the draft picks. Now, when it comes to the Dolphins strategy here, you know, when they ship off uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, Laramie Tunsil, I'm not as much against that because I knew what they were doing for this draft. At least I think I know what they were doing. They're accruing picks to tool themselves, to equip themselves, to be able to do whatever they want to make sure they get the quarterback that they want. And I think that quarterback is Tua. But when you look at these other picks, there's no guarantee, even with Tua, if they draft him at five, there's obviously no guarantee that they're going to pan into a quality NFL starter. If you land on half those guys, that's a good draft. So I think when you go that long without picking anybody, that's it's a little concerning to me. Yeah, it's concerning, but at the same time, they've made these moves with teams to get these first-round picks for a reason. They've made these moves to acquire these extra first-few-round picks for a reason. It's to go after guys that they know are going to make an impact right away. I'm not saying fourth or fifth or even sixth-round picks don't make an impact, a.k.a. my favorite Dolphins player of all time, Zach Thomas. 
they can make an impact, but you're more than likely going to make a splash getting one of these playmakers in the first three or four rounds than in rounds five or six. So Mason, when you look at the first round here with the three picks, is there a scenario that will make you want to throw something at your TV? What are the Dolphins going to have to do to make you upset with how they handle the first round? Well, I mean, listen, as a long as a lifelong Dolphin, getting Justin Herbert would be a letdown from the standpoint of it is not what we've been looking forward to for the last year or so. I'm not saying Justin Herbert would be the wrong pick. I'm just saying as a Dolphin, it would be disappointing to some regard because we knew coming into this season that we wanted Tua. Obviously, things have changed with his injury history. Obviously, it is going to be more of a calculated risk, but he is there for us to get right now. It is very, very high chance that Tua will be there at five unless the Chargers or somebody trade with the Lions at three. If Tua is there and we pass on him to get Herbert, it will be disappointing because of the fact that will Tua be a star? Will we get burnt again? That would disappoint me. But to be honest, Riley, I don't know if there is going to be a situation for me to throw something at my TV. Even if the Dolphins went tackle at five, I know that would be very strange for them to do. But if they got that tackle at five and they possibly even traded up inside the top 10, they could still get Tua inside the top 10. Tua could fall. You know, we've seen it before in past drafts with Aaron Rodgers. This isn't a good example, but I'm going to say it anyway. Brady Quinn. <laughs> you know, we, we've we seen we've seen quarterbacks fall a lot further than they're anticipated. Josh Rosen fell to 10 and the go. Cardinals jumped yeah. up. That worked out well, too. Well, I said my example is bad. Yours might be worse. Um, <laughs> but, you know, these quarterbacks, you know, things happen that experts and analysts do not expect. Tua could easily fall to number nine at Jacksonville. Would Jacksonville pull the trigger there? Possibly. They don't have a long-term solution at quarterback. They thought they did a year ago. So it is going to be quite interesting if Miami does pass and San Diego is left there with a the decision. Hmm, do we take Herbert? Do we take Tua? And if they take, if they don't take, obviously one of them is going to have to pass by them. If we can get Herbert at nine, how would you feel about that? If two is off the board, so look, you know, first of all, if we're sitting at five, somebody jumps us at three or four, and there's even rumors that Washington is getting a ton of calls for that number two pick. If somebody jumps the Dolphins to grab Tua and then Herbert falls to them, whether it's five or whatever, if they take a tackle at five and trade back up to nine, whatever it is to get Herbert, that's fine with me. But where I'm going to have an issue personally is if, Wherever they decide to pick their quarterback, if they have Tua on the board and Herbert on the board, if they draft Herbert over Tua, then I'm not going to be happy. Like I said, there's going to be a certain degree of me that is going to be disappointed that they did not go with the guy that we've coveted, injury history or no injury history. I know it is a very muddled situation where there's so many experts that are saying he's going to be fine. He needs he, He's passing those medical um, tests. And then there's so many experts saying, no, he's not going to be. He's going to be battling these injuries throughout his career. That is the beauty of the draft. That is the danger of the draft. But at the end of the day, if the Dolphins take Tua at five, if he's available, we can't fault them for that. If he doesn't pan out because of injuries, well, guess what? We, we gave it our shot. We shot our shot. We didn't hit it. 
But if we get Herbert, once again, this organization is showing that we're going to take the safe route. Steve Ross, say what you will about him. He spends money on free agents and he wants to put people in seats. I'm hoping he's going to have some, because I think he's a Tua guy. I think he's more of a Tua guy. I'm hoping he has a little bit of say in this. And Flores and Greer will pull the trigger on Tua and we'll get what we've wanted for the last year. I just can't wait for it to be over, Mason. I can't take it. The the stress is building. The tensions are rising. And just everything else going around the draft, with it being, you know, remote, people are drafting from their living rooms. Like the whole thing is just kind of hard to comprehend. It's going to be interesting to see how ESPN and the NFL network kind of handle the production, the broadcast aspect of it, and just the logistics of how they're going to be handling the draft itself, which makes it so much more of an unknown when you look at this. And the fact that Miami wasn't able to bring Tua into their facilities to get a look at him, I understand why they would be nervous about it. But if you've done your due diligence scouting the prospect himself, Tua is right up there in terms of his skill set with Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow had a historic season at LSU. And if we had Joe Burrow, I would be dancing in the streets. You would but, take you would take your three draft picks in the first round for Joe Burrow? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that going into this year, Tua was that guy that Joe Burrow is being touted as now. We're talking about Tua as the number one overall pick. And I get the hip surgery is a big deal. But that doesn't mean the skills aren't still there. Yep, but you can only showcase those skills if you're on the field. And I know Understood. I'm playing devil's advocate. No, under, I under, I get it. It's a it's a legit concern. But I'm sick and tired of sitting back and playing the safe card and that not ever panning out and us sitting, you know, in the middle of the pack of between 6 and 10 and 9 and 7 every year. You have to take some risk if you want reward. I think that's going to be the theme of the draft, and I hope the Dolphins see it that way too, Riley. And like I mentioned at the beginning of the of our episode, there's been few and far times between where the Dolphins know they're going to target a quarterback in the first 10 picks of the draft in the last 20 or so years. This is an enormous opportunity to really turn your franchise around and really give them a breath of fresh air, a franchise that has been mediocre and has only made two playoff appearances in a long, long time. Yeah, they hold all of the chess pieces. They hold they hold the power to be able to do whatever they want. If a team wants to jump up to three, the Dolphins have the draft capital to stop them and offer up a better deal. If I'm Chris Greer, I'm calling everyone that's speculating about moving out of their pick and saying, look, if someone calls you about jumping over us, you know, trading with you, call me and I will top it. I don't know if you watch the Game of Thrones. But Tyrion. Oh, yeah. Big fan. Big fan. Yeah. It's kind of, so it reminds cool. <laughs> me of when Tyrion, you know, Braun, his, his sellsword, the guy that saves him time and time again, he always says, if someone offers you, if someone is offering money for your services, come to me. I will beat it every single time. Make sure you check with me before you, you know, you ditched me for somebody else. That's the same exact situation here. If I'm Chris Greer, I'm having the Detroit Lions. Look, if someone is saying they want to jump us, if someone's offering you picks, Give me a call first, and I'll top it. If they really are targeting a specific quarterback here. Well put. Chris Greer is Tyrion Lannister. (laughs) If you get anything from this podcast, the comparison of Chris Greer and Tyrion Lannister. I don't think you're going to get that on any other Miami Dolphins podcast, Mason. That's for sure. 
so things are working behind the scenes. We haven't even officially launched the Finit to Win It podcast. Um, we're working diligently, kind of working on our strategy moving forward, getting our social media channels up and running. But we wanted to jump on and kind of give our initial thoughts, off-the-cuff thoughts, going into the draft since it's such a historic draft for the Miami Dolphins organization and really is going to determine the course, the direction of this franchise for the next probably decade. It's really kind of setting the building blocks, the foundation of what this team is going to be. So I can't stress enough the magnitude of what this weekend's going to mean for the Miami Dolphins organization. But we're going to be here with you to react to it afterwards. BlueWirePods.com, where the Fin It to Win It podcast for Mason Englehart, I'm Riley Bradshaw. We're looking forward to building the show, getting it launched, and really digging into the Miami Dolphins going into the 2020 NFL season. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.